You're listening to the Maniverse Podcast with your host, Tom Traplin, and this is session number 128. Get a customized digital marketing strategy for your game store by booking a free 45-minute strategy session with us. We will do a deep dive on the six main areas of digital marketing for your game store and identify what's working and what can be improved on, create a customized strategy based on your brand, and then show you how we can implement everything for you. Book your strategy session at maniversesaga.com forward slash MMA. Welcome to the Maniverse Podcast. I am your host, Tom Traplin, and this is the podcast where we explore what it takes to build a successful, friendly, local game store. If you like what you hear on today's episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast whatever fine platform you're listening on. And if you're listening to this on YouTube, hit the like and subscribe button. As always, you can find the notes and links mentioned in today's episode at maniversesaga.com. Today, we have Adam Schultz on the podcast. Adam is the owner of Cosmic Games in Bellingham. And Cosmic Games is Bellingham's premier source for Magic the Gathering, Pokemon, trading card games, video games, and more. Welcome to the podcast, Mr. Schultz. Thank you very much for joining me. I'm glad that we have this conversation. I'm really excited to chat and to dive into the story of Cosmic Games. No problem. All right. So the very first thing that I like to do when I'm you know, interviewing store owners is I like to go back in time and talk about the very beginning of things, right? So we, we're going to go back to the beginning of Cosmic Games. We're going to go back to the Big Bang and start off. Where did the, the seed for Cosmic Games come from? Why did you get into this business? You know, what, what was your experience those first couple of years, like, tell us that story. Uh, I actually took it over five years ago. It's been around for 30. Uh, it started back in 1993, right around the same time Magic the Gathering did. Uh, they focused more on comics back then. Uh, when I took over, we got rid of comics and added the retro video game stuff. But uh, it's been a big growth process from there. Personally, I've done, I grew up with my parents doing like flea markets and stuff like that and garage sales and whatnot. So I've always known a little bit about this stuff. Uh, and I've bought and sold video games for probably 15 years as well. Uh, I took this over as the previous owner had had a second child and the wife was basically it's time to grow up and have a big boy job. So I don't know how well the store was doing, but apparently not well enough. So I had a guy I worked with that worked there part-time and let me know that they were looking at selling. Uh, so I went and talked to the owner. We made a deal and I owned a store. Interesting. So definitely some topics I want to jump into and explore a little bit more. But what was the process of purchasing the business like? Because not a lot of store owners get into the business that way, where they buy into an existing business. They might buy their stock or buy their inventory and use that to to start off their own thing but they don't normally take over or it's not as common to take over another existing business. So why did you go that route? Like other than perhaps like the opportunity kind of was there. Uh, I think the opportunity was most of it. Uh, I think it's actually easier to do it this route. If you have the availability to uh, depending on what you're working with, of course, but yeah, inventory takeover is definitely more common. I've bought out inventory from several stores in the last couple of years. So this, I basically bought the inventory as well. I just ended up with the rest of the assets with it. Uh, we rebranded right away. It was Cosmic Comics for 25 years. And then we basically rebuilt it from the ground up. But we had a little bit of a customer base left over to draw from as well. So it helped us kind of take off a little faster 
than having to do it from the ground up all the way. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's it's one of the advantages of taking over like an existing property, an existing business is that it comes with all the customers, presumably, and all the goodwill that's associated with it. Uh, yeah, so it's when the business was, or when the person who contacted you said, hey, we're, you know, we're exploring selling. What was the reason for them exiting? And then also, like, I guess what I'm trying to get at is, how uh, healthy was the business at the time when you took it over? And, and where did it go from there? They had had a fire there a couple of years prior. They had cut the business space about in half and added some apartments in the back. So my assumption is it wasn't doing great, but I, I don't know. I didn't really dig into that part of it very much because I knew I was going to rebuild it anyway. So it didn't really matter as far as I was concerned. I was, again, mostly buying the inventory is correct. I just ended up with the assets and the landlord was the previous business owner. So I had pretty favorable terms there, but we outgrew that space very quickly. I think I was there for just over a year before moving. That's a very good sign that you were able to take things from where they were and then also grow it considerably within the span of a year to take it to somewhere else, to take it somewhere new. I think the first year we did roughly what they'd been doing anyway. And then as of this year, we've done about 10 times what the first year was already. That's pretty good. It's been very good growth. Yes. A lot has happened in the last five years. You know, yes, it has to make an under, to make a considerable understatement. So what, what is the five-year process been like? So we went through, you know, COVID for the past two years and a bit that I'm sure changed the way things were done, but you know, you've, you've experienced a considerable amount of growth in that time period. What, like, what do you think are the reasons for that? Like, what, tell us a little bit more about uh, what's going on there. So COVID happened, I think it was what a year and a half ish in from when, after I took over, cause it was what early 2019 or was it 2020? It's all yeah, it together like March, now. 2020. Yeah. 2020. So about <laughs> two and a half together. years in. <laughs> yes. Um, I was actually at the Gamma convention and we were driving home from that when the whole thing was going down and everybody was freaking out about everything. So that was an interesting experience to say the least. Um, for this particular industry, COVID was good. I mean, it was bad for the world, but as far as sales and stuff in this industry with everybody being stuck home and the collectible market going crazy, it was good for our business in particular. Uh, we watched prices go up on basically everything. So all the stuff we already had was just worth more and everybody wanted it because that's what was going on. Nobody was doing anything else. So they were buying collectibles and buying all kinds of stuff. Uh, we built out our online website at that point just to have it. I still don't use it fully. I don't ship anywhere, but I do have a complete database that people can at least look at what we have in store and then come in and pick it up. So, and then hmm. after that, the market's still getting better. You've got the Pokemon boom from the Logan Paul thing a few years ago. And that, of course, helped a ton. Uh, Magic's put out a lot of strong sets the last couple of years, which has also helped. And it seems like they're going in that direction still. The the set this last weekend is great. It's probably one of our best pre-releases ever. So, yep. A ton of people in store for that. Yeah, that's Phyrexia will be one for anyone who's listening to this in the yep. future and not like immediately <laughs> afterwards. So that's, that's the set we're right. talking about. I want to ask about the website because I this is like where my wheelhouse lies in for the most part. And this is how I usually help store owners. Uh, mm -hmm. So you've got a website, you've got an e-commerce platform that people can come in and they can look at your, your inventory and they can see what's uh, what's for sale. 
And it's, mm-hmm. from what I understand, it's just pickup. Like it's curbside pickup as they That's use the it. It's just, they have to come, come to the store. How, yep. how important has that been to like the growth of the business? How much do you feel like that is actually relevant? You know, do you have big plans for this? Like wh- how does that fit into the, the whole pu- overall puzzle? Uh, the current layout is fine. It works great, but I'm still waiting for the ADA compliance stuff to get figured out before I turn on shipping. I do plan on doing that soon. It's just as soon as somebody says, Hey, we've got this figured out and it's no longer a problem then I will gladly start shipping. The other end of that is I do a large amount of magic singles. I've probably got 2 million in stock. We pull a ton of orders every day. My current plan is to start getting that listed through the website as well. So I have a complete database. Um, and we will probably start going a little beyond local right now with that. But I mean, we, we sell a ton of cards. So that's our biggest thing by far right now. And that's why I have the database I do. I'm using Binder Point of Sale, which I'm guessing you're probably familiar yep. with. So I have mm-hmm. that over Shopify, which, and I'm familiar enough with those things that I can kind of fumble my way through and at least ask the right questions on what to do with all that. But it will be integral later. It's not that important right now. Gotcha. So you're planning for the future, but at the moment, because of the environment that's currently happening at the at right now, and for again, for people who are listening to this later on, hopefully we have a solution and we figured this whole thing out. There's no more <laughs> lawsuits or anything like that. Right. That's no longer relevant. Uh, but that's something that is happening at the moment. You know, February 2023. That's that's a thing that uh, game stores across the U.S. are dealing with. This frivolous you know, ADA accessibility lawsuits that are coming out of uh, New York, apparently. Yeah. And that, that's, that's a valid, valid reason to be concerned about uh, online shipping and, and all of the things that are involved in that. I'm, I was curious because the, like for so many stores, the website has become uh, vital to their growth as we've gone, especially as uh, things have moved forward after the pandemic and people have, kind of gotten back into the swing of things. We're starting to shop again. They're coming out. They want, you know, like people have started to expect convenience and things like that. So the idea of having the website and having uh, the ability to ship, but also the ability to just come and pick up a product is crucial. I feel like going forward. I, I, I sense the, there is a plan to move in that direction once it becomes uh, safer, I guess, or uh, right. less risky. In terms mm-hmm. of, of like the lawsuits and everything that we just talked about for the platform, like Binder POS specifically, I do want to ask about Binder because there are a lot of stores that are using Binder. It's a uh, platform that's built on top of Shopify. How, uh, how do you feel about the platform? So I bought into it in 2020 at that same Gamma. Uh, so I've been using it near the beginning. Um, it works well. It's not perfect, but then again, nothing is. Um, there are things that they could change. Them being in Australia has made it difficult to get support at times, but they are usually pretty good about fixing things and taking care of things. Now that they've been bought by Channel Fireball, who's been bought by TCG, who's been bought by eBay, nobody knows exactly what's going on yet. So once we have some answers there as well, <laughs> you know, so that will obviously impact how I use it and what my plans are in the future once I know exactly how all that's going to work. Because eBay doesn't care. It's more going to be t- what TCG wants to do with it. Yeah. And as far as the tool goes, I feel like it's one of the better options from what I've mm-hmm. seen and from you know how I've, I've been able to use it myself and the feature set that it come, uh, comes with. I feel like it's one of the better choices for stores that are heavy on singles because that's just that's a completely different inventory beast that you need something specialized to handle. 
especially if you're going to be doing anything online. I, I want to talk a little bit about the video game side of the business too, because that's something that's also that's related, but somewhat different, right? It's a, it has a different ebb and flow from like, you know, TCG player or TCGs and, and that sort of thing. So I do yeah. want to explore those elements as well. Uh, how much, I guess, how big of a part of the business is the single side? The singles are probably half at the moment, I would say. From just a straight sales number, I want to say they are 30% currently. And then sealed product being like a, a, a fairly large amount too. But the single side of the business is a like a sizable portion of the overall revenue. It, it's a big, big draw. It's a big, can, uh, a big operational energy consumption activity. So yes, I guess what I want to ask is, sounds like you've got the single side locked down. Like you've got it mm -hmm. refined to the point where you're processing a lot of orders. You're obviously it's just generating a lot of revenue for the business. How did it get to that point? What did you do to build a system where you could do this effectively and actually pull orders and pick, pick everything that you needed and, and all of that stuff. What was the, what were the headaches and the learning processes during that, uh, that growth period? <laughs> many, many man hours of labor is what it was. Uh, we went from, at first we had everything in binders and we just went to boxes on shelves. And then I bought actual custom drawers that fit the boxes correctly for pulling orders. Uh, everything is set sorted now. We have probably 98 to 99% of singles in existence outside of, you know, huge stuff. And I've got a lot of that too. But we, our big thing is just filling lists for people, uh, Commander decks and whatever, Pioneer, Standard, whatever people are playing. Uh, we run Commander and Pioneer in store. The rest of the formats around us are not all that popular currently. But we still sell a lot of modern singles because people buy for RCQs or whatever as well. So it just, it was literally throwing a ton of man hours at it to get it from the, well, when I bought the store, we were literally just pulling cards out of drawers and finding things and nooks and crannies all over the place. So we made a pile of cards mm -hmm. in the middle and just got it set sorted into binders finally, and just grew it from there as we kept buying cards. Part of the thing I also want to explore a little bit of, as well is when you started off, was singles like a big portion of the existing business when you purchased it, or did you choose to move in that direction and kind of grew from when you took off? Uh, we chose. It was definitely not that big of a portion. They had a couple of display cases with cards in it and then just random cards here and there. But overall, I do not think singles were a huge portion of their business at the time. Uh, okay. So that that's very, that's interesting. So you've grown this considerably in a, a five-year span then. So how do you yes. get singles in stock? What's your method for like accumulating as well as pushing them out? Like how do you have that uh, that set up? Uh, mostly just customers. They bring them in and we sell them back to a different customer. <laughs> so I don't usually have so to go in just and acquire singles anywhere else. People coming in and bringing their, <clears throat> excuse me, bringing their, their binders, their collections in uh, for purchase. Just be like, hey, I've got these cards. You know, what do, what do you give me? Yep. Or I want different cards or whatever. Yep. Or we'll buy, you know, complete collections as well. People that have got out or, you know, somebody that found a stash in their attic from years ago or whatever. So we just... Yeah, that's most of it is just customer. We don't, like I said, source stuff very often. Uh, I mean, I keep a log of credit with a bigger vendor just in case I need little stuff. But overall, I've got almost everything. <laughs> do you have, like, do you, uh, I guess, do you promote that? Do you talk about that on a regular basis? Like, I know that I a lot of stores will struggle with this aspect of things. <laughs> yeah, I don't advertise at all. It's all word of mouth. And we're so busy that I don't really want to at the moment. Um, if it comes down to it and we need to, we will, but 
we're big enough at this point. I mean, I'm in a strip mall in a 5,000 square foot space next to a Marshalls and a Domino's. So we're right next to the highway, good visibility, uh, locations huge, of course. So that has taken care of most of it. Yeah, that's really interesting because I feel like those are the, you know, the two pieces of the singles puzzles. Like you get the stuff in and you get the stuff out, right? The faster you can do both of those things, the more money you make. So ideally, like you make those as as rapidly and as efficiently as happen as possible. And uh, yep. yeah, I was just curious. It's like, is there, you know, a system to IT price competitively? Is it, or is it just literally you have enough foot traffic, you have enough customers coming in and the culture is I expect to trade in order to accumulate, to acquire new product. You just have this natural organic inflow of, of new cards coming into the system. At this point, I think the most of it is organic. Uh, we do, I mean, we're competitive. Our point of sale is set up to derive from TCG now. I had been using Card Kingdom for quite a while, but with the last few sets, they're so inflated on new stuff. I just decided to switch over to mine now, finally. So it is a much closer to actual market. I mean, it rounds up a little bit, but we're pretty close. So we are competitive at this point. And yeah, just the natural churn of everybody bringing stuff in. You know, we process, I don't know how many cards a day, but it's a lot. <laughs> Very interesting because I know that there are a lot of stores that look at the single side of the business as this complex, <laughs> you know, sometimes it may be a necessary evil in a, in a sense, right? Like yep. there's so much involved in doing it well that it's, it's something that you have to really commit to and you have to have a process and you have to have an operation that can support it. Otherwise, it's just just not worth the labor you're going to potentially put into it. Yeah, it sucked up a lot of labor over the years, that's for sure. So that's just part <coughs> of the deal with it. You just have to feed it, so to speak. But uh, if you feed it, it does provide. The problem is you have to have the customer base and you know, depending on your competition in your area too, uh, just being able to get the singles. I mean, we're the biggest store in the area for sure. And I know we've got the biggest selection of singles probably outside of Card Kingdom in our area. I imagine we've got more than most. Okay. And for stores who are who are thinking about getting into singles, they've got a business, they do magic, they, they have sealed, and they thought, hey, maybe I should do this. You know, like I've got customers asking about this, but they haven't pulled the trigger yet. Would you give them any advice on like, okay, well, this is what you should do first. Make sure you use this, you know, avoid these problems. Like, what would you say to somebody who's in that position where they want to maybe move in that direction? If you don't know yourself and it's financially viable, hire somebody that knows the market. <laughs> it helps a lot. Um, a lot of the other problem owners have is a lot of places the owner plays to and will ransack their singles for their own decks. I don't play at all. I don't play anything anymore. I don't have time. I run a business. A lot of places don't run a business. So it's that's mm -hmm. one of the things too. They have a hard time decoupling those things. You need to run a business to be profitable in order to stay around and serve customers as well. You have to do both. Yeah. It's funny how many, uh, how many store owners I've had on the podcast who've expressed that exact same sentiment of, mm -hmm. you know, like I, you know, I like love games, love, you know, playing games, love selling games. But I don't play anymore. Like I just mm -hmm. have no time. The only game that I play is the game of business. That's the only like the game store game. That's all I got, right? And yeah. it's it's funny because that that is like one of the biggest misconceptions that I, I think most like I I don't want to be dismissive, but there are people <laughs> who have the dream of like being I want to be yep. a store owner, right? Like they've they think it's this big glamorous thing and that's what they want to do. And they think I'm gonna be playing games all day. Right. I'm going to, that's what, that's what it's going to be. It's not going to be that at all. It's going to be a business. And you're, you're going to be 
you know, uh, scrubbing toilets and vacuuming the floor and, and doing all of the things that you're going to be doing to make this thing, you know, happen. Right. Yep. It, and it's, yeah, it's funny because it's an almost universal sentiment that game stores owners have said at some point, multiple times over the, over the podcast. <laughs> I think it's a good reminder though. It's a good, good reminder of the reality of, of the situation because it's not a bad thing either. Right. Like if, uh, you know, you in exchange for some game nights, you have a business that is thriving, that has a community that hopefully, you know, really enjoys what you do and loves what you do and loves what you provide. And, you know, it provides for you as the owner and it hopefully provides for your team and all the people that you have working for you, right? Yep. You're creating something, something good and something worthwhile and something unique and interesting in the world instead of, uh, maybe just cracking a few packs on a Friday night, but that's a right. good tip. I like that <laughs> idea of just. You have to be, in a way, decoupled from the products in some sense. You can't be too enmeshed in the situation in order to, to for it to function properly as a business. The other thing I did, I did want to ask about was the video game side of things. So mm -hmm. Cosmic Comics obviously used to do deal in comics, but yep. you decided that that was a, a line that you were going to move away from and you're going to move into a different direction. Why move away from comics? Why go into like retro video game stuff? Uh, the comic market is a lot tougher nowadays. It takes a lot of space to have. And when I do things, I typically have everything for a product line. So if we're going to have, say, Dragon Shield sleeves, I'm going to have every color. Uh, I'm going to have all of it. So it takes a lot of space. If I was to do comics, I would want to do the same thing. And that's impossible. There's too many. Too much of it's worth almost nothing. It would take up too much space. That and the fact that I'm not interested in it and don't know it. So retro games I've done for years and years. I know that market well. So I've always I've owned two other stores that have had something to do with retro games at some point. So I just decided to switch that and add it. And I mean, the comics he had left over that he was trying to sell, I didn't even buy them. I bought everything else and had him keep those. And he ended up selling them for not a whole lot to somebody in the long run. So... That was the right decision. So you're playing to your strengths in that regard. Yes. And that you've got experience. Like you said, you've been in the market. You know what it's like. You know what it's about. You know what to sell for. You know what to look for. And then that was the reason why you've, you've moved away from the comics section of things. Yeah. We just uh, – the comics aren't my interest. And while I did retain one employee that worked for Cosmic Comics as well, and he knows comics well, he agreed with me that it was probably a good time to call those. That and just the issues with distribution with comics nowadays um, – that whole mess with Diamond and everything else a couple of years ago or whatever it was. And it's just, you have to stock so much. People do pull boxes and never pick their stuff up. It's just, it's a lot of labor for not a lot of benefit. So we have another comic place in town that does really well. And just, here you go. You do the thing. I'll do mine. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Divisional labor. You've got this done. We'll send people your way. We do our exactly. thing. You send people our way. Good yep. deal. Good deal. So when it comes to retro video games, this is a market that has a lot of overlap with, you know, tabletop games, or at least a lot of thematic overlap. Yeah. Right. Uh, but again, it might be a very different customer base as well. So it could almost be like you're running multiple businesses within the same location, in a sense, very different operations, right? Yeah. Would you, I guess, would you recommend the retro video game market as like a viable add-on service for game stores? Or is this something that you really need specialized knowledge to get into? 
Um, it's the same as doing magic singles, basically. You should have somebody that has knowledge of it. There are a lot of fakes nowadays. You need to know how to spot them. That stuff's important. Mm. Uh, being able to do basic service on some stuff helps a lot. You don't necessarily have to, but you're going to turn away a lot of good, easy-to-repair product if you do. So you want to have that ability as well. Um, knowing that market is good, but there are, I mean, our point of sale is set up with buy prices for all that stuff too. So it doesn't really matter that much. Uh, but you got to treat cheap games like you do cheap cards. You can't pay much for them because they're going to sit around. You know, yes, you will sell copies of Halo or whatever once in a while, but for the most part, nobody wants that stuff. So you got to cater either to the collector demographic who's looking for high-end stuff that's hard to find, or you have to have everything again so you can have the random game that mom wants for their kid or whatever. So it's a space thing as well. Uh, I mean, the cards obviously take up a lot less space for their revenue amount, so you can't really compare, but the video games do pull their weight. Fair enough. Any tips for somebody who's who's looking to get into the space? Like, is it the same kind of thing? You know, make sure you hire for, for uh, knowledge and, and somebody who knows what they're doing, or is there, what should they be looking out for? Uh, yeah, ideally having somebody on staff that knows um, can point out a fake Pokemon cartridge because they're so expensive now. You don't want to be buying fake ones. Uh, just mm. the knowledge is definitely there. If you don't know it yourself, you probably want somebody that has at least a good passing knowledge. I mean, there's lots of disgruntled GameStop employees. I have two of my own. So finding one of those isn't usually that hard. Yeah, picking up somebody from uh, from theirs. Uh, not so uncommon anymore. I think that's an actually a pretty good segue right there. We've talked a lot about hiring for knowledge, hiring the right kinds of people to make sure that you've got those those elements of your business covered. How do you find those people? What's been your process for picking up the right kinds of people? Uh, most of mine has come from my customer base or friends of people that already work for me. We've hired that way most of the time. And I think so I've got 10 now and I've only had two that haven't worked out and it hasn't really been a huge issues. It's just little stuff that doesn't add up and doesn't mesh well. But other than that, everybody else has been either, yeah, from the customer base or poached from a GameStop <laughs> because they're sick of GameStop's corporate stuff. <laughs> yeah. Come work for, for the, uh, the little guy and actually might have a much better, a better time doing something that you actually enjoy. Uh-huh. Do you have any advice on like hiring and finding the right people? Is there something that you look for other than, you know, the experience and that sort of thing? Is there something that tells you that someone's going to work out for you? Most of the experience can actually be taught, especially on the card side of things. I mean, the, the databases do the vast majority of the work as long as the person is, you know, sufficient and using them. Uh, I hire more for personality. Uh, you've mm. got, you know, people that, I don't want to say cater, but are either friends with a certain demographic or whatever. So that's been great for us, just having people that have like-minded and like games. So, and we get a lot of repeat customers from that. Just having people on staff that they can relate to has been great. Mm, I like that. That's a good tip right there. Making sure that you've got different personalities that people can come in into and connect with, because that's something that people go to game stores for, right? Yep. As the store owner, I'm sure you, you experienced that earlier on that people started coming to be in a way like to meet, to see you, right? Yeah. For a lot of store owners, that's that's the experience for the first year or two, potentially, where you're oh, the yeah. face of this of the business, right? You're the you're the person that's 
creating the space for all these customers. So they'll come for you in a sense, but mm -hmm. it, you can technically replicate that not just in like having additional labor and not just in the experience, but also in the personality and the character that this person is bringing to your business. And doing that allows you to reach different people and different demographics and different, you know, different clicks that might not necessarily resonate with somebody, but they might with someone else. Absolutely. Cast yeah, I mean, internet. I like it. Just only so much old white guy that works, so we have to have different people around. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's a good point. Uh, uh, so you've been in business for five years. You've Obviously, you've learned a lot over the, that time period. What are some of the, what are some of the biggest mistakes that you've made during that time period that you'd warn somebody else? Be like, hey, this is something you definitely have to avoid. If you're wanting to get into this business, don't be underfunded. Uh, that happens so much. Uh, have six figures ready, or it's less, much less likely to work out. It is not as cheap as people think it is. The shoestring budget, or the hey, I've got a backpack of cards, doesn't work well. I mean, yeah, it'll get you to limp along for a while, but you need capital in order to make this work. There is so much going on. You're spending, you know, tens of thousands of dollars every magic release, so every month or two, same with Pokemon. You have to be well enough funded to be able to do all of that and not get so far behind that it's a problem. You've got so many people that are selling for nearly no margin so they can basically afford the next release, and that's bad for everybody, you know? Selling a box for five bucks above cost sucks. It's not good for anybody. Yeah. Um, again, that's another point that I think almost every single person who comes on the podcast makes is that you can't compete on price and expect no. to win in the long run. Because all that does is besides the fact that you're like, you're killing yourself for very little money, which is, you know, there's, there are ways and jobs available that you can go and do that. If that's what you really want, you don't need to start a business in order to, in order to go broke, you know, trying <laughs> working really hard. Uh, right. But it's also, it's just, it's, it's bad for you. It's bad for everyone around you, right? All the other businesses, all the other stores in your area, they're just going to very much dislike the fact that you are trying to uh, undercut and basically reduce the ability for everyone else to function properly. Yeah. Uh, but in the long run, like you end up, you know, you end up hurting yourself and you end up hurting the community as well. So just general advice is, is, don't compete on price. Do not try to be the cheapest because that's not a winning strategy long-term. You cannot do it. It's not going to happen in this business. You can't beat Amazon. It's not going to happen. So don't look. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. You, know, you, you yeah. are providing experience. That's your goal is to provide the experience and make people want to come back. You know, they are willing to pay that extra couple bucks in order to have that experience. And if you don't have the funding right off the bat, then you're going to struggle providing that experience. And you're yes. going to lean on price as a way to keep it going. And then that's when you enter the, the spiral this, towards the end. Spiral, yes. which, yeah, which nobody wants to be. That's the worst roller coaster ride in the world. All right, let's talk about happy stuff, positive things. <laughs> so we talked about the mistakes. We talked about some of the things we want to, to definitely avoid. What are some of the biggest things that you discovered as, say, wins? Something that you, like, you, you tried and you're like, this thing took off. This was gangbusters. I would replicate this as many times as possible. What's some things that you would say every game store owner should be like thinking about as important? Um, diversifying product lines. Don't put all your eggs in one basket for sure. Uh, we've added some almost off topic stuff, so to speak. Uh, I've done really good with squishables the last year or so. Uh, we have added 
uh, some of the choose your own adventure books. It's a tiny little stand. We've sold through that thing like twice now. And I mean, it's not making us a ton of money, but given the price point and where it's at, it's fine. Just uh, exploring product lines that are kind of good for your general area. Like I said, I was next to a, Mar I'm next to a Marshalls and a Ross. So I've got that, you know, middle-aged mom shopping vibe going on. So adding stuff that appeals to them, they come in and look around. Oh, hey, my kids would like this. That happens all the time. So just having something for where you're at and your specific demographic where you're at. And I mean, we get a lot of the, uh, the mom is shopping at Ross and Marshall. So the dad or the kids come over too, same deal. So having things that are interesting to those people, as well as your hardcore gamers, is definitely a good idea. Make sure you don't bet your entire business on one thing. Make sure that you have a broad appeal. I think that that touches on the idea of, from what I'm guessing, based off of the way you've described Cosmic Games, the way that it it's it's in the strip mall, it's got this you know walk by traffic that's more mainstream. Is that you probably get a lot of mainstream customers, people that you don't normally think of as game store customers. We do. Um, we're pretty close to the Canadian border as well, so we get a lot of people coming down from Vancouver, BC, and they go shopping. There's you know a Costco a couple miles away. And they'll come to these strip uh, stores here on the strip mall because we are literally right off the highway. I can see the highway from the front door. So we see a ton of people like that as well. And so we'll see a lot of Canadians come through and just take a look. And then, yeah, you know, they'll talk and we get messages all the time. Hey, somebody recommended you guys for whatever because they just happen to pass by. So location is definitely a thing. We kind of got lucky on this. We were in a little bit of a tucked away area, relatively close. And then we just got randomly solicited by the guy that had this space. It's like, well, we're looking for space anyway, because we were, I think we're at around 5,000 square feet now. We were at about 2,500 before. So doubling the square footage definitely helps too. And I mean, I'm already to the point to where we've got a Rite Aid and a dollar store across the parking lot that are probably 20,000 square feet. I would gladly occupy one of those if they became available at this point. Wow. Okay. That leads to another interesting question. So when you were in that 2,500 square foot spot, how did you know that you needed a larger space? At what point were you like, okay, definitely we need to we need to scale this up? And then also, how did you, I guess, not how did you know, but like, uh, when did you know it was the right time? The time was luck, so to speak. It wasn't, I mean, it would have been the right time whenever we were basically running out of space. We had so much product everywhere. That's That's when we know is, hey, it's full again. We're having a hard time finding spots to put stuff out to show. And then we know we need more space. Like I've got a thousand foot warehouse now and it's still, it's full too. So it's just space is always at a premium. Uh, it's, I think that's probably everybody though. Not just me. Usually space is always an issue. Um, it, like I said, the guy came and solicited us. So it was just kind of a good accident, so to speak. And everything just worked out. Uh, the terms were good because it was during COVID still. So they were pretty aggressive mm -hmm. about being good with terms. So it is, for where we're at, it is quite cheap. So if something were to come up now that was available, I have a feeling we could probably break this lease because I have a feeling they can rent this space for quite a bit more than they have it at the moment. Interesting. Not that everyone can take advantage of the COVID pricing, but yeah. it's, uh, it's certainly interesting to know. And I know that there are store owners who are, who are asking that question themselves of like, okay, I feel like we're, we're beginning to outgrow things. And it's, mm -hmm. it's one of those questions that's every business owner has to answer at some point is, you know, yep. when it's just you, there's eventually the stage of like, ah, I'm busy enough that I feel like I need somebody else to help me with this. 
when do I know when, like the, when is the right time to hire your, your, your first employee? When is it the right time to hire your next employee? An extension of that is when, when is the right time to literally pack everything up and move into a bigger, bigger space? Because that is a big undertaking. Yes, it is. We've done it twice. Um, I mean, I went from, I think I had three employees about a year and a half ago and we, we've got 10 now. So that part's growing fast as well. That, yes, there is a bit of an exponential curve going on there. Mm. Have you, it would be hard to narrow it down, but I'm going to try anyways. If you had to say, okay, there's, you know, these few things that I think are the, the secret sauce to what's happened so far, because your business cosmic games has gone and grown in a considerable amount of uh, amount in a five-year period that I'm sure a lot of stores would love to know. What did you do? Like how did, what was the, you know, the, the mix that made this thing happen? How can I replicate your success? What would you say is, is the, you know, like the secret sauce there? I'm sure there's more than one thing. Uh, most of it hinges around buying. Uh, I've been a professional buyer for the last 15 years at my previous job as well. So I feel like I'm fairly good at that. So I have a good handle on how much and what to purchase. And I think that's also where a lot of people go wrong is they either buy too little or too much of whatever, uh, being able to gauge what the next hot product's going to be and trying to get a hold of a lot of it, uh, moving enough products so you get allocations. That part's difficult to say the least, because we never get as much as we want of anything, you know, even Crown Zenith was a good example, a recent one. You know, I think I had 180 Elite Trainer boxes, which is a lot for a lot of places. But I blew through those in two days. So I need more, guys. And there's just nothing. We can't get any more. <laughs> so that one's you can't control, of course. But knowing other things to be able to purchase the right amounts. Um, I Back when the set boosters were a new thing, you know, we still were buying a ton of draft boosters. So, I mean... I figured it out eventually, but I think I still have, I don't know, 60 or 70 boxes of Crimson Vow Draft in the back that need to go away. So it's just knowing that helps a lot and just getting the right amounts. Mm, a man after Gary Ray's heart. Yeah, I watch and read his stuff. I like how he writes a lot. I don't typically watch or follow a lot of people, but I do read his stuff. <laughs> Yeah, no, Gary knows what he's talking about. And I, I really like that you touched on that as an element because that's not mentioned all that often. But the idea of, of just like honing the numbers and paying attention to your product mix and figuring out your turn rates and your inventory, because that's something that he talks about a lot. That's a yes, big does. component of you know the things that he, he, he speaks about and the things that he writes about. If you can be the spreadsheet wizard and figure out exactly what you need to do to make all these ratios work and all these numbers work, the machine works. Mm -hmm. And I'm not that hardcore about it. I don't look at that stuff nearly as much as I should. I just go by instinct most of the time. But usually my instinct's pretty good with this stuff just because I've been doing it for long enough. So you've had prior experience to the business, obviously. You said it was you've been a buyer for a long period of time. Yeah, my previous job was tracking down hard-to-find parts for barcode scanners and printers of all things. <laughs> so. Okay. So there's a secret. That's the job you need before you're a game store owner. That's what you need to go out and do. It certainly helps. Um, that or <laughs> accountant. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that would be a very good skill set to bring into this business as well. Yeah, uh, I pay somebody else for that nowadays. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's another good point. 
outsource your weaknesses, outsource the things mm -hmm. that you don't want to do even, right? You might be great at it. And I think it's another uh, fun lesson that every business owner has to figure out at some point is that when it's you, when it's at the beginning, it's just you and you wear all the hats and you do all the things. And there are some things that you're going to find that you're really good at, but there's going to be a lot of those things that you should not be doing as the business owner, right? Yeah. Like you might be great, in, great at the till, you might be great with customer service, but there are things that you will need to be focusing on in order for this business to keep growing that being at the till is not going to be a good use of your time. At some point you will have to find someone else to take care of that for you. Right. And I think uh, accounting, if you can bookkeeping, if you can, uh, if you can manage to find somebody you can trust to take that over for you, that's one of those aspects of the business that, you know, you might be really enjoyable or you might really enjoy the spreadsheet aspect of things, but that's not the best and highest use of your time. No, and considering somebody professional is honestly, once you're doing the type of volume, especially that I'm doing, but even half what I'm doing, just pass it off. It's not that expensive and they will make sure it's right. You don't want to screw with the IRS. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. That's a good point. Nobody wants to, uh, nobody wants to get caught up in some sort of a tax tax liability issue. That's now mm -hmm. fun. Nobody wants to do that. Yeah. Uh, so I, at least an interesting question, perhaps for me anyways, what would you think at this point in the business? What do you spend most of your time doing in order to keep the business growing? What's the, what is your highest and best use of your time over the course of a day? Oh, I'm pretty bad about that. I still get pulled everywhere. Uh, I, I help with everything. Uh, I don't do a lot of the actual like customer service functions as much anymore. I'm more back end related and trying to do everything else. But yeah, I do whatever needs to get done. It's just like any other business owner. You just do everything and do whatever needs to get done. Delegate as much as you can. <laughs> Still in the trenches leading from the front. Yeah, pretty much. Um, I mean, I have a good team. They can handle it all, but there's just always so much to do. Which again, leads me to another question. I I came up with this question a few episodes ago that I think is a, I think it's a good one. I think it's interesting, but it's a little bit more uh, emotional, touchy feely rather than here's some business tips. But what is the hardest part? What's the most difficult part about being a game store owner? Uh, I'm guessing it's probably going to be different for everybody. For me, it's just, I, I work too much. Um, I don't think I've taken a day off until today since October because that's how busy the holiday season's been. And I'm finally getting wow. back to where I can take some time off. Uh, I'm a workaholic, so it's fine with me. But I know a lot of people, it's it's too much. You need your breaks. I mean, technically, I guess I... No, I didn't. The last break was definitely Magic Fest in October. <laughs> and that was still technically work. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's what I'm curious about is, is personally, like, where do you find the biggest challenge? It's a Sounds like it's not the worst thing in the world that one of the biggest challenges is that you spend a lot of time at your business because that's something that you don't mind doing. Too much. Flip side yeah. to that. And I mean, my kids are older, so my one kid works for me. So it's not the end of the world there. I still see them. My wife is supportive of it. And, you know, she is fine with it too, but we definitely probably could use a vacation. <laughs> mm. So, well, hopefully you've got a vacation sometime uh, planned in the future for you. The flip side to the question, though, is what's your favorite part about being a game store owner? Probably similar to anybody that owns their own successful business is just being able to do your own thing, not having to 
I don't want to say answer to anybody because you do answer to customers, so to speak. But uh, being able to call your own shots, so to speak, is probably the, my favorite part of it. Just being able to kind of lead the lead the circus. <laughs> mm, yeah, being the ringmaster. I definitely understand the idea of the freedom and the 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 sense of control in a in a way of being able to direct your own life in some in some cases, and. As a business owner, that's what's one of the things that draws me to to the or to business in general is that uh, yeah that sense of freedom and that sense of ability to like you said call your own shots. That's the thing that uh, that I like the most of it by far. Money's great, but that's the thing <laughs> that like you can make money doing a lot of different things, but it's not always going to be pleasant. You can make more money, most likely doing other things. Uh, I mean, I'm personally doing fine for myself, but I know this industry in particular is difficult to say the least. Um, a lot of people make, I don't know, 50, 60 grand a year, I'm guessing, doing this. And it's, while it's not awful, it's definitely a lot of work for that amount of money. So, I mean, there's other aspects too. I've got, I guess, retirement grade amounts of stuff now. So that's a positive, I suppose. Lots of things that are worth money. And I mean, Everybody's always up in arms and saying the market's going to tank on this or that. I don't see that happening with like Magic or video games. Both of those aren't going anywhere anytime soon. I don't think there's any superly intrinsic risk there, like some people seem to think. Uh, it's just like playing a stock market. Same idea. Yeah, plenty of ups and downs. But generally speaking, the trend has been fairly consistent for a very long period of time at this point. And you could probably count on it being semi-consistent for a while still. I think so. Yeah. I think this is a good spot for a slightly philosophical question. And this is, this is the one that I usually like to ask every single store owner that comes onto this podcast. Uh, the theme of the podcast is about success, building a good, you know, successful business. But the trouble with that is what is success? Success is very ambiguous, right? It means a lot to a different, different people. So my question is what does success look like for you? when it comes to cosmic games, you know, like, what do you feel like, have you reached success where you want it to go? What is like, paint that picture for us. I feel like the vast majority of Americans and myself included, uh, financial stability is usually measured success. Um, the business has definitely done that for me. Uh, it is doing well. I am able to pay myself a decent amount now. I mean, the first three years, of course, growing pains, but at this point it's doing well enough to provide. And that's, where I think success is. Um, as far as that goes, uh, there's more growth to be had. I don't know about my current location, although we've only been there a year and a half, so there's more growth to be had there. Um, it's definitely, it nearly doubled after that first year of moving here again. So it was just, the location made a massive difference. And I feel like just adding space and adding more product lines would do that again as well. That's why, like I said, if space becomes available, absolutely. But yeah, I do feel it's been plenty successful. I mean, the fact that I've hired and can provide for 10 people is a big thing for me too. That's um, not something everybody gets the chance to do. And I am glad that we were able to do that and provide jobs that people actually enjoy versus a lot of other options that aren't quite as great, I imagine. Um, there's a lot of retail and or other jobs that you know, a lot of corporate stuff that you had to deal with. They're just stuff you can't do because of weird corporate rules. We have the freedom to be able to support our employees versus, you know, punish them for things that shouldn't be getting punished for. It's a lot of responsibility to have employees that people that you are responsible for, they're 
their livelihood relies on you, but at the same time, it can also be very fulfilling and it's a, yeah, it's something that can be very satisfying and it's a, it's a really positive aspect of the business that you can provide something that's creating so much value for the people that they want to spend money with you that you can then put it back into the community by, by employing people. It's the, one of the beauties of capitalism. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Last question before we let you go, let you get back to your day and we tell everyone where they can come and find you and, and see, you know, what you've got going on. Uh, do you have any last words of advice for somebody who is in a situation where they are thinking, I want to open a game store. I, this is something I've wanted to do for a very long time. I'm planning on doing this sometime in the near future, or they're like, maybe they're, you know, early days, just kind of getting things started. What, what advice would you give the budding game store owner in 2023, February? I didn't follow this advice. I just jumped into it, but go talk to people that have done it, go read like Gary's book is supposed to be very good. I've never actually read it. I need to at some point, but I believe it's all about dissuading people from doing this. So uh, it is definitely a good uh, starting point to make sure that you are 100% invested in this. Realize it is not cheap and it is a high fail rate. I mean, that's not positive, but I realistically just temper your expectations. Don't just jump in or it's going to not go well usually. So read some stuff first and make very sure that you want to do it. I mean, it's a great dream to have. It's fun. I enjoy it a lot, but it is very difficult, a lot more difficult than people think. It's like you mentioned earlier, it's not just all fun and games. You're not sitting there playing stuff ever. <laughs> no, that, that's a, it's a good sobering thought to end things on. So if somebody wants to come and find out, you know, if they want to come visit you and see well, what's uh, what's going on at Cosmic Games? What what, what is Adam done that the, I you know I really want to make sure that uh, I'm following in his footsteps? Where can they go to find you? Where do they find you online? How can people reach out to you? Website is uh, cosmicbham.com. Uh, Facebook just Cosmic Games as well. Uh, instant messages there. Email and contact info is all on the website. Uh, everything goes directly to my email, so I see everything and answer pretty much everything. Uh, or through Facebook, you know, all my employees see it. Whoever's got the right information can answer. Uh, yeah, that's most of our contact. I think we've got Instagram and everything else too. I, the old guy, I don't look at it. So I've got somebody <laughs> that handles all my social media stuff at this point. I let them do their thing. You know, they're mid twenties kids. They know what they're doing. So I let the children handle all the, the fun online things nowadays. Yeah. And as a marketing professional, I highly recommend that anyone who's listening do the same thing. Make sure somebody else <laughs> handles that stuff for you because it's just so much easier and generally more effective. Well, thank you very much for coming on the podcast and, uh, and having a conversation with me and just sharing your, your story and your wisdom and like all the thoughts that you've had. Uh, I, I appreciate your time and I'm, I'm glad we were able to do this today. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. All right, that's it for today's episode of the Maniverse Podcast. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you stay up to date whenever we upload. And if you like what you hear, we'd also appreciate a quick five-star review on iTunes. Thanks again for listening to today's show. I'm Tom Traplin. I've been your host, and I will talk to you again in the next episode of the Maniverse Podcast. Podcast.